7 through 12. First John 4, 7 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Well, I had some folks over, uh, my wife and I, to our house uh, yesterday to play a game night together, just a, a smattering of different folks from Redeemer. I love to play different games, and so, you know, the question is how can you find games that everybody likes to play where you can get to know one another? And I'm going to recommend a couple to you. The first is Apples to Apples Junior Edition, okay? Intellectually speaking, I was right there with this game, okay? Great idea, you throw down cards, everybody gives their own answer of what they think it might be. You fellowship, you come around, you have a great time. It was really, really fun. And then we played one of those get-to-know-you games. You know, you go to a corporate retreat where, you know, what's your favorite food, what's your blah, blah, blah. One of my favorite questions was, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? You know, some people like fly, some people like speak. This person said, I would be able to know the directions anywhere that I was. And she wanted her superhero name to be Map Girl. Or GPS Girl. I thought that was the best superhero title. I, you know, I want to be super fast. Big deal. Jeez. No direction. There's one game we were not able to play, which is one of my favorites, uh, which is called Balderdash. Love the game Balderdash. Uh, maybe you know the concept of it. You give a word that not many people know. And people try to figure out what it is, and people submit their own definitions. And because we did not play Balderdash last night, I'm going to play a brief session of Balderdash with you right here, uh, before they kick me out of Presbyterian. Okay, here's the first word, Z-donk. Okay, you're trying to find the right definition. Z-donk, a French seaport. Z-donk. <laughs> the noggin of a young child after it has been accidentally hit on a table. Zidonk. A traditional folk tune, uh, tune originating from Zimbabwe. Zidonk. Or the offspring of a zebra and a donkey. What do you think? Wrong. Zimbabwe. I'm lying to you. It is the offspring of a zebra and a donkey. Well done. Well done. Okay, Slumgullion. Slumgullion, a stew of meat, vegetables, potatoes, etc. Or, an immensely rich homeless person, used as a noun, a slumgullion. The act of camping out in a camper as opposed to a tent. Verb, to slumgullion. A cat that acts high and mighty. Adjective, a slumgullion cat. I have no idea what that means. Which one is the right answer? It's a stew. That's a very good. All right, the last one, a flipper gibbet. Flipper gibbet. Number one, the internal organs of small birds, such as finches, sparrows, and Cornish guineas. They're flipper gibbets. Homework that has been carelessly completed, a chattering or a flight.
nervously pulls their hair in a useless attempt to calm their nerves? A flivver gibbet. The answer? Third one? The answer is a chattering or flighty, light-headed person. Perhaps you've been called a flivver gibbet before. It's been an insult. It was never a compliment. Now I'm going You know, definitions are funny things, aren't they? You know, it's hard to figure out sometimes what things are because people have different perceptions of them. Kind of like love. Love's a hard thing to get a definition on, isn't it? You ask 50 different people what is it, you get 50 different answers. And some of them sound so good, you think, well, that may be it, right? In fact, it seems like our entire world is trying to answer the question, what is love? Where is it to be found? I remember my uh, grandfather-in-law's definition, Billy Mays, who said in his Danville draw, love is nothing but a misunderstanding between two fools. <laughs> I thought that was the best definition that I've heard in a while. <laughs> so how do we know what's true, and how do we know what is not? The beauty of this passage is it explains to us exactly what is love. It defines it for us. It gives us a lens or a picture by which we can hold up all other ones. This is love, says the passage, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He gave Himself up for us. We see the definition of love. That we have the love of God. And not only do we have this love, but we can love like He loves. Because the love we so desperately love, one can be found in Him. And so we see that the definition of love itself is this one called Jesus Christ who came to save us. See, the truth be this, my friends, that you and I have all of the love we need in Christ. And we, because we have all the love we need, can give all the love we have to each other. But we must focus on three key points if we want to really understand love and to love. Number one, we have to understand the origin of love. Where did it come from? How do we find it in our relentless quest? Number two, the definition of love. How can we sum it up in three words or less? And then number three, the perfection of love. How do we take our futile efforts of love and develop them in such a way that we can love in the way that God wants us to? Because we can have all the love that we need in Christ. Let's give all the love that we have to each other with this heavenly love that He gives to us. Well, let's break this down. Let's look at these three points. Number one, the origin of love. Where does it come from? Look at the first passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now, keep in mind, this was a church just like ours, a group of people that John the Apostle is writing to. And he's exhorting them to love because it's hard. They struggle just like you and me. You know, I've found for some reason that it's a lot easier for me often to love the world than the person sitting right next to me. And he's saying, let us love, for love is from God. They're struggling. Let us love one another. They're struggling in their own community, their own relationships, maybe even their own family to love one another. But he continues, let us love one another, for love is from God. See, we discovered that there's a source of love a place where you can go, where love can be found. In fact, where all love emanates from. I don't know if you remember the story of the conquistador, Juan Ponce de Leon, who went to look for the fountain of youth, the spring of all youth. And he spent most of his life in Florida searching around for this elusive spring, and he never found it. 
and died an old man in a fruitless quest. See, there is no origin for youth that can be found on this earth, just as there's no origin of love that can be found on the earth. It's a heavenly love. It's a love from God. But it's not only a variety of sources, it's one source. Notice, let us love one another for love is from God. You can't manufacture it. You can't create it. You can't wish it. You can only reallocate it. You can only distribute it. You cannot give what it is that you don't have. It's a source in God. See, I love this passage. So often we hear this, hey guys, we just need to love one another. Well, that's easy to say, but it's a lot harder to do, isn't it? See, there cannot be no love. There cannot be love in a church where there is no God. Because without God, there is not love. Without God in a marriage, there is no love. Without God in relationships, we don't have anything to give. And so as John exhorts this church, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. We discover that the ground of our love is this love which is from God. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Well, if love is from God, and we're exhorted to love one another, where is the bridge that comes from God's love to ours? It moves on in this next section. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, there's a bridge that has been created from God's love to our life through this new birth, this new spiritual birth in which we have become born of God. Remember the passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In order to appropriate this love of God, we must be born into the family of God. I was up by, you know, it's back to school night, you know, and all these things, and we're going to all of these open houses, and I was at Norfolk Christian, and one of the teachers looked at me, and then I turned around, and she's like, I'm sorry, I thought you were Mark Rodriguez, my, my uh, you know, your son. I said, well, thank you very much. That's a compliment to me that you would consider me worthy to look like my son. But there's a, there's, a, there's a relationship, there's a connection you can see between one and the other. It's genetic in the same way with the Lord. It's spiritual. It's rich. It's bonded. It's tight. You know, if you have a child in the hospital now, what they do is they put a bracelet on the mom and dad, and they put the bracelet on the child. And if you don't have the bracelet, you cannot take that child out. There's a bond, an identity between them that is shown visibly through what is invisible. And this passage is telling us that we can love one another, indeed we should love one another, because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born again. See, because we have received love from the source, we've been, if you will, connected to it, we are able to channel this love, to transmit it to those who are around us. But notice in 1 John 4, 8, it says the opposite. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, the first thing I ask is, is God a feeling? You know, you often hear this, you know, God couldn't be mad at everyone, right? Because God is love. And that means God is loving and therefore He can't be mad. God is not a feeling. God is a person. He's tri-personal. God is not only love, He's also righteousness. He's also holiness. He's also justice. What does it mean then that He is God is love? It means He is the ultimate standard of what love is. 
You know, in order to have a ruler, you have to know what an inch is, right? How do we know what love is? It's very simple. We look at the one who is love. God, who by his life and conduct shows us what true love is. And so anyone who loves knows God. There's not a new ability that's given to us when we become Christians. I don't become math guy. I'm not endued with a new power. I'm instead entrusted with a new relationship. I don't receive a new ability, I receive a new vitality. Something that's going on in me, someone who's in me that's changing the way that I feel. Can we love one another without knowing God? You can't. Now some may argue with me, wait a second, I've seen some people who don't claim to be Christians that are very, very loving. In fact, they're even more loving than me. Truth be told, there's only one love and it's from God. And there's either a love that springs up from within in us or from outside. Because God's common grace makes the rain shine on, on the just and the unjust. Love comes from God. But the difference for the Christian is God gives us the ability to love from within because our heart is changed. Love that is not from God is not love. Well, if this is so, if this person, these people have been changed, if they are born of God... If it's as natural to them as walking, why does John have to remind them again? Right? I mean, you don't have to tell a duck to walk like a duck, do you? You don't have to tell a fish to, uh, to swim. Why does he have to exhort them? What it teaches us this, my friends, is that we can resist who we are. We can resist. We can act contrary to our nature. And therefore, we as Christians have a part to play in this exhortation to love God. What he's saying, John, to this church and what I'm saying to you and to me is that we are called to live consistent lives, to be ourselves, to be the church, to be anything else is to be living out a tune with who we are. I saw this picture and a little bit of an illustration of what I wanted to demonstrate. I don't know who has her click here. Maybe I can go ahead and click it if you don't. And this is fantastic. I don't know if you can see this. That is a little baby uh, gazelle there. Okay? A couple of cheetahs, and, and the cheetah is patting the gazelle. Right? No, no. Look at the next passage. Send the next one. Look how cute that is. Isn't that cuddling? The gazelle and the cheetah. Okay, what is going on here? Can you imagine if this gets back to the cheetah council, by the way? You get, what? It's right there. Well, apparently the cheetahs had already eaten enough, you know, and they're just kind of, you know, hey, whatever. And I think there's one more here. You know, they're just, look, he even has his jaws on the throat of the gazelle, and he's just kind of nuzzling uh, the gazelle. The photographer who took this said he'd never seen anything like this before in his life, and the gazelle just bounded away, and these three brothers just hung out uh, for the rest of the day. Christian cheetahs, exactly. Hey, there's something wrong with this, isn't there? It's cute, but it's weird. Because cheetahs were meant to eat gazelles. Okay? Christians in a church were meant to love one another. In fact, we should be the ones that love more than anyone. Why? Because we know the origin of love, and we are connected to the origin of love. God, our Heavenly Father. And so we have to ask the question as we examine our lives, who are you? When you look at your identity bracelet that you wear around, what does it say? Who do I see myself as? You know, I can 
I see myself as something else. To be sure, we are in many relationships. We're either a father, we're a son, we're a student, we're a wife, I'm not, she is. Nevertheless, your main identity is this, that you are God's child if you are a Christian. And because of that, there is an origin to your love that is beyond this world. Where are you looking for it? Where is your fountain of youth if you're wandering throughout? It's not going to be found on this earth. If you're putting your trust in it's this guy or it's this gal, when we finally move on in this phase of our relationship and we finally get on the same page or we just seem to have gone off the right path and everything will... Love between a man and a woman is beautiful. Love with a child is beautiful. But there is a love that is above those loves. A love whose origin is in heaven. Who are you trusting in to help you love others? The love that you bring into this room. The love when you come home from work and you're tired and you're grumpy. Where does this love come from? We have to understand the origin of love is from God Himself. And until we go to receive our love from God, we will have nothing to do. The solution is this, that we're born of God and we know Him. See, it's one thing to hear this message from me, it's another to hear it from Him. To be a Christian, to know God's love, is to have courage to face God on your own in the stillness of your life and to say, God, is this true? Do you really have enough love for me? It's the scariest question you can ask, frankly. But it's the one you have to have answered day in and day out. Do you pray? Do you go to the Lord and ask the question? Do you read His Word? systematically, regularly, hopefully, tell me my identity. Because until we go to God and we say to Him, You are the source of love, fill my empty heart, we will have nothing to give to anyone else. So stop searching, my friends. Start appropriating the love that God has given to you and to me by means of the identity that He has given to you, if you are a Christian son and daughter of God. You have all the love you could ever need in Christ. So give all the love you have to each other. This brings me to my second point. We've talked about the origin of love, where we can find it. Well, what is the definition of love? What does it really look like? Truth of it is, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to see it, isn't it? You know, love, as I've looked at it, and I've looked at this passage, I think you can see three or four main things about love. Number one, it's demonstrable. Okay? You can demonstrate it. You can see love in action. Look at 1 John 4, 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. Notice that the love of God was made manifest. We know that word, don't we? That which is hidden, which has become obvious, plain to see. The shipping manifest, where you look to see what exists and you make sure that it's there. This love somehow has become manifest. It's in the past tense, by the way. This love has become manifest. It's already occurred. The manifestation isn't the love. The manifestation is a demonstration of the love that lies behind it. It's a visible symbol of an invisible reality. 
Same way when I give my wife a ring when I'm going to marry her. It's a manifestation. But this manifestation is not a symbol, it's a person. A living, breathing God who became man. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God manifested His love in that He sent His Son. What's the most valuable thing that you have? I always ask that question, you know, if there was a fire and you could only get one thing out, blah, 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 what would it be? We never think about our children. We never think, it's always about the thing because it's obvious you get your family out. They're the most precious thing you have. You know, you, if, if you lose everything, but you have your family, you have everything you need. And if you lose your family, you have God. And if you don't have God, you don't have anything. So that God would send His Son into the world, away from Him. I got to send my son off to, uh, to Nicaragua for a month. First time one of our children had ever been away for a long time. It was gut-wrenching putting him on the plane to go away. And yet God sent His Son into the world that we might live through Him. There's risk in this mission. Nothing's definite. It's going to be miraculous. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. But this love of God requires that one would go who would die so that we might live through Him. If we have to live through Him, it means that we're dead apart from Him. That God sent His Son into the world. That through Him, we who are dead might come alive. And the reality being, through us coming alive, He would have to become dead. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, love is demonstrable, but love is also unconditional. God knew when He sent His Son that He was going to be rejected. The Son knew it too. The Son didn't have to go. He chose to. The Son came to be spit upon, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be made a spectacle of. And Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But God sent His Son because He loved us. So that we, He might be the propitiation for our sins. I don't know if you know this word propitiation. It's a tricky one. It means to change the regard in which one has for another. What does that mean? It means, we see in the scriptures, that we were enemies of God. God is love, isn't it? God is just. God is holy. And we are sinners. In fact, nobody seeks God, the scriptures say. Nobody looks for God. And yet God loving us, and yet needing to satisfy the requirements of righteousness, changing His heart toward us, that somebody has to pay the price. Somebody must be made to pay, so that I may regain my heart of love for my other children. You know, it's one thing to spend all your life looking for your lost son. It's a whole other thing to give your lost son to be lost, so that you could make enemies your sons. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. Jesus sent His Son to pay. It's radical. You know, I thought to myself, you know how I love illustrations to try to explain, you know, things so you see a word picture? 
I racked my brain, my brain trying to think of an illustration to show this, and I couldn't come up with one. And I realized the reason I couldn't come up with one is because none exists. There's nothing that shows this love that never quits, this relentless, reckless, unwise, unreserved, true, all-guiding, not-cut-corners love that God has for His people that He would send His only Son. It's a love. It defines love. If you want to know, how do I love my spouse? Just look at Christ. Look at how He gave His life for us. How do I love my enemies? We look to the cross. How do I love myself? If God so loved me, if my Father was willing so much to pay for me as this, Surely I am worth enough in His eyes that I can be worth that love. It's a love that changes everything. How do you define love, my friends? What's your standard? But I'm sitting there with my family. What is the standard of how I am to love? Is it reckless? Is it caution to the wind? Or is there a distance, a space, Maybe you've been dinged up and hurt, as we all have in relationships. Maybe even church, you know, just to be here in the church. Maybe you grew up in a church where everybody was cold, you know, and Jesus was talked about, but it was, I don't know, it was out there. You know, to give of your heart in such a way to people, whether it be your family, or whether it be people in the church, is miraculous. It's out of this world, part of the ship. It's the definition of love. But this is exactly what God has put in our hearts and given us the strength and desire to be through His power. That like Jesus, I would lay down my life for my friends, for my families, for my people in my church, indeed, even for my enemies. That is a love that overcomes the world. And so what John is saying to you and to me is that we need to love like Jesus. We cannot do with any less of a standard than His standard. The true standard to love recklessly and scandalously in line with God's love for us through Jesus Christ. It's dangerous. It's risky. Christianity is not safe. Jesus Himself, the God, man, was hung on a cross. And yet we see Him giving Himself away. So God raised Him from the dead. And that as we give ourselves away to one another, God will raise us from the dead as well. You know, that's the vision I have for our church. That we would love in this kind of way. An inexplicable way. A way that comes from Christ that people would see our church and say, we don't even see anything like that. That's a good cue. That the love in this church is from above, not from below. So think about how you love people. You love people around you here. And change your definition. Go to God for His love. And then pour out His love by faith. And experience my final point. Number three, the perfection of love. You know, how do you learn to love like this? It's one thing to see it from afar, isn't it? It's another to become it. I don't know if you've ever walked around people before, you know, and you just run up against one of these people. And they just start operating on a different plane. It's not that they're smarter necessarily. It's not that they're even 
maybe more firmly, but they have a love, a givingness about them. What, how did that happen? How can I have that? 1 John 4.12 puts it this way, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. There is a process, my friends, of perfection of love. You know, you don't sell the wine right away, do you? You put it in a cask and let it ferment and let it develop and grow until it's at its perfect sweetness. The best way to learn God's love is to love. There's a process of perfection. You could sit here listening to me for years and years talking about love and never experience it if you never poured out yourself. But something happens when you take on Christ's mantle and you begin to love. God begins to reshape you from within. And as you give out, God gives in. And as you take off parts of yourself, God removes, reshapes you. Like a diamond cutting all of the facets of you. Perfecting His love in you. Is it a painful process from time to time? Absolutely. But it's one worth going through. You know, at the end of the life, what are you going to look back upon? Here are all the things that I have on my wall. And I'm not denigrating those accomplishments, many of them being for the Lord. You're going to look back and you're going to ask the question, did I really live? Did I really love? Love is risk. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. And as we love, we not only experience His love and His perfection, but we experience His presence. Do you want to know Jesus? Give your life away. You want to know love? Give your love away. That's how your life will begin to be transformed. The gospel is not for information. It's for transformation. But as we love, we're changing and we're growing. How long have you been a Christian? Five years? Ten years? Twenty years? It seems like today, this year, may have been the hardest year of my life. Which is kind of strange because last year I thought was the hardest year of my life. It doesn't necessarily get any easier, does it? But it becomes richer because God's presence in our life is growing and growing and growing. You know, if you're empty for love, first of all, if you want love, become a Christian. The origin of love is from God. You won't find it anywhere else. If you don't ever submit your life to Christ, you'll be like that conquistador going around and around in Florida all of his life. But if you are a Christian, stop. Where am I looking for love? Go to the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who birthed you. He is the origin of all you need. The definition, he gave himself away. And then out of the love he gives you, give to others. And what you'll notice, inch by inch, decision by decision, sacrifice by sacrifice, is as you give yourself away, God's love and His presence will be growing and growing to completeness and fruition in your life. The hope of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for myself. I'm excited for you and I'm excited for this church. But let's be risky, my friends. Let's step out of our comfort zone. If Christ did it for us, we can do it for one another. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to see.
Let's pray. There's no illustration I could give, God, that shows the beauty of your decision to send Jesus Christ. Jesus, there's no example of love that I could ever bring up that would parallel the life that you lived and the love that you gave for which you died for our sins. Lord, help us to become enraptured by your love. Help it to cast its spell around us that we would not be satisfied with cheap imitations, foolish definitions of the world that there is nothing of love. And Lord, let us practice it. Let us pour it out. Lord, and as we give ourselves away, fill ourselves with you, Lord, that we may sing for joy and rejoice. You have written our name on the palm of your hands. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.